Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where uh, once every every other week we bring you the Gundam Universal Century story in a more or less chronological fashion. Um, this week we are bringing to you episodes nine through twelve of the Terminator Zero Gundam. <laughs> yeah, that um, of the Zero Eighth MS team, um, and we're also covering the Battle in Three Dimensions OVA. Um, we got three hosts. I'm Lane. Uh, we have uh, Scotty P. Say hi. You know, I just want to say I'm I'm finally finishing up. I have about ten episodes left of Turn A Gundam. I had only watched roughly the first half until now, and I wish we were talking about that. It's really good. And we I have hate- Luke. Say hi, Luke. Hi. <laughs> I I wasn't cutting you off. I just thought that was your own intro for for yourself. Thirty eight <laughs> minutes in, we're going to be talking about Turn A again. <laughs> he's gonna be like an episode 46 of turn a gundam like, well no i have 10 episodes left i'm not that far but i don't even know how long it is uh 50 but uh, uh what other series are 50 episodes other than um turn a is um uh vic is victory gundam 50 victory i want to say it's 51 terrible grueling 23 <laughs> minute episodes that will make you question yeah. Um, who approved that program and put it <laughs> on the air. I mean, for that show to be so bad that Sunrise goes, you know what? Let's make G Gundam. And look, G Gundam's awesome, and I love it, for, but for them to change, like th- flip things on their head so bad, I know there are people that like V Gundam, but it is, it's the worst Gundam show I have ever watched. And I have watched Seed Destiny in its entirety. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't watched all of Victory Gundam, so I don't really have too much of an opinion on it yet. Um, I haven't watched any of Victory Gundam, so... I think I've watched like the first two or three episodes. Well, it's going to happen, so... Yeah, we're, we'll get there. I'm so, taking... And, and you know what? We yeah. might do, just for Scotty, we might do one episode... At a time. <laughs> Do you know how oh. many Transformers I have to play with while you guys talk about it? I can just basically be listening early. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Scotty, I've got good news for you. It is uh, – that one's 51 episodes. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the longest It's the longest series. Awesome. Because I, I think uh, – what, Double Zeta goes 49? I thought it was 46. Oh, yeah, maybe that was 46, 47. And I think it's Zeta goes 49. I think that's right. Yeah. Hooray. Anyway, they could have squeezed a few more out of Devil Zeta, but neither here nor there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I learned I I learned from you know from browsing the subreddit that we generally kind of like push this on. I, I didn't realize there's a dub of Double Zeta. I saw that. It's it's yeah. like a lost dub that like aired somewhere was it tsunami or something like that no i think i said india or somewhere Hmm. like that yeah Yeah, it it, it aired once in the 90s i think they said right or maybe early 2000s it it aired somewhere in english and nobody has like any of that i think there was like clips of some of the shows online somewhere but i think that's about the extent of it right yeah i mean apparently it's not a super great dub but you know that's it's fine. I think it's one of those things where like Zeta got dubbed because Toonami was totally going to air it and then they didn't. 
Yeah. Um, and they probably, I think they were planning on double Zeta, but uh, nothing will ever be as bad as the uh, Transformers Headmasters Star TV dub. Um, I'm just going to say, because it's a Gundam show, look it up. <laughs> what year? Um, that would have been 1987. Okay. Now, I makes- don't know. I don't know if the dub is from. I think the dub is from the nineties. Uh, I, I feel like anything before the early two thousands that's dubbed is just amateur hour, and like we could probably make a similar quality dub on this podcast live. Yeah, I mean, Ocean Group put out some decent stuff, but uh, and there's there's parts of the Akira dub I really like, especially when he's punching kids and he's like discipline. <laughs> Discipline. I was like, they nailed that part. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh wait, the MST. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we gotta have some fun every once in a while. It's, oh yeah, the MST team is uh, pretty pretty dark, especially from this point on. Yeah, dark but good in my yeah opinion. yeah. Um, so. I guess the, to, to kind of catch you up, uh, if, if it's been a while uh, since you've watched the first several episodes, uh, episode nine kind of picks up, um, you know, uh, Shiro has been investigated by the Federation. Um, they, they've also kind of gone rogue at one point and uh, got their hands slapped. Um, uh, but he's so, but now he's not like confined to quarters anymore. Uh, he's leading the team again. Um, so when episode nine starts there, his team is out looking for, uh, a Xeon base. Um, and then we get some, some hints that, uh, Sanders is being asked to, to make, to watch Shiro still, because even though they've cleared him and they're letting him, um, run things, there's still a lot of, um, mistrust. Yeah. Mistrust. Right, because uh, this was the this was the mission that was instead of us putting you in front of a firing squad, we're going to send you on this this uh, mission that's unlikely that you'll complete. Yeah, which is why Shiro has to tell us about it because this uh, episode came out before Miller's report, so that was the only way you'd know what they were doing. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So. Shiro is still at this point. He he's still very conflicted. Um, he's still got his uh, his emo coat on, as it were. He he doesn't want to fire on Zeon. Um, well, he he just doesn't understand. He's kind of like questioning why it makes sense just to be killing people, and he's like kind of not holier than thou that uh, to other people. He's like, why are we even fighting to someone who's like shooting at him and like. He's just very conflicted about why he's doing this. Yeah, so uh, there's a theme that kind of runs in a lot of the later one-year war material where it's this war has gone on not for a dramatically long amount of time by any means, but there, like, so many people have been killed at this point on each side, and it's sort of dragged into a stalemate, and as things are coming out of it, uh, a lot of these works kind of have that idea of like these soldiers now have been fighting long enough to realize they're just fighting other people. Uh, and I think you see that in Shiro in this series. Um, just as a side thing, I was 
checking out Lost War Chronicles recently, and that has a lot of the same themes of you know hesitant CO on each side, kind of a loose rivalry forms, and you're seeing it's ultimately good people that don't want to hurt people being driven to have to do bad things because of war, but they really don't want to necessarily be hurting people. And it, it's a, a theme that we'll see a lot in these shows that are, you know, most of the side stories for the one year war are towards the end, uh, because I think that's where the, a lot of the um, more human drama is. So if you're going to tell a shorter story, it makes sense there. Yeah. And, and, and some of the shows they, they talk about how during the one year war, um, and I can't remember at what point it was, but it was definitely by the end. Um, but it was bo even before the end, I think, is half of the population of Xeon is dead and half of the population of Earth is dead. Um, and then we, we kind of talked about this a little bit when we were talking about the uh, plot to assassinate Garen, uh, all the uh, steps that the, the Xeon was going through to kind of hide it from their population that, you know, um, even on their main colony, something like a third of the people were either a third of the people were remaining or a third of the people were dead. And so they were like doing like, you know, forced turning the lights on and stuff like that to just to keep people happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there was gone. Oh, sorry. As I say, the, the part of their trouble at Abawaku, not that the Federation didn't have a similar issue, just not to the, as much of an extent, but remember a lot of Xeon's issues were, uh, you know, they they had all these new mobile suits, but for one, they were a little bit outspecced by the GM, even on the DOMs. Uh, but also, they had rookies, like they had kids piloting these things. Yeah, yeah. they had pockets of veterans, but um, we, we've seen in a lot of the other shows, the veterans either don't make it to places or they leave because like they their their commander pulls them away because they know it's a losing battle. Um, and w one of the other illusions that we, we talked about early in this one, um, and I think a lot of it's because of the time period it came out in, it came out in the, in the nineties, but, um, this is very much a, um, a, an, an illusory story to the, the Vietnam era. Right. So, um, you know, the beginning of the war, a lot of the guys were like, you know, all gung ho by the end, we see more like what we have right now where people are just like, what is the point of this? You know, like who who are we fighting for? Like crashed. Yeah. In the meantime, Elador has gotten out of the hospital, which we learn in Miller's report. If you watch this right after episode eight, you're gonna go, oh, okay, he's back. Great. And uh yeah, Elador, all he cares is that all oh, those nurses in the hospital are fatties. <laughs> yeah, he was a little bummed about that. Uh he was expecting to get all kinds of nurse uh tail didn't work out yeah um and and speaking of elador this goes yeah. into another trope we see in this series um karen gets her head knocked off <laughs> does, yeah. yeah yeah the worst cocky pilot ever <laughs> and she's she is pretty full of herself and terrible yeah would you I, say she's the worst pilot what's that would you say she's the worst pilot I would say she's the worst regular pilot of the team. I mean, I joked about this last time, but it's an act guy too. You got a ground Gundam and 
you you just got the head punched off uh, ground GM. I forget what they're in at this point, uh, but by an act guy. It's the yeah. only time an act guy does anything. What does he do? You're talking about the old guy, right? No, 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 no. The the suit that punches the head off of Karen's suit. Oh, the the surprise attack. Um, yeah, that yeah. amphibious suit is called an act guy. Yeah, he pops up on the. You know, I had a note to look that up, and then I just completely ignored that note. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of skipped it, but we also see uh, Shiro's got his uh, updated Hot Boy Gundam, the Easy Eight. That's right. Yep. Which hey, is a slightly worse paint job on the regular gun. Yeah. Uh, pop so quiz. What does Easy Eight stand for? Oh God, I knew this at one point. Uh. Eliminate Xeon. <laughs> extra, uh, extra something. It's uh, extra zero eight. Ah, it's, huh. I think it's just really like a pun on the zero eight. title. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it is mostly so. Really, what it is, it's the same unit he had before, but they were running out of spare parts, so they just kind of took whatever they could find and put more armor on it because of that, uh, and. It ultimately has better performance somehow. They, I don't see how that works, but supposedly better performance and you know rebuilt with extra parts, better armor, and then a, a slightly different head on there. Yeah, they moved some of the armor pieces around and gave it a little bit better armor plating. I think they swapped some of the weapons out. Um, I think specifically it had better ankle armor because he kept having problems with that. And that kind of makes sense for the ground environment. Like, I feel like that would be their engineers learning lessons. Yeah. And you remember, I think when they're in the desert, he kept, he kept having problems with it while he was walking. Yeah. They had to stop it that one time and repair it. They got uh, the V fan too, which kind of sucked. Yeah. So, so Karen loses her head pretty quickly. They, they get, um, you know, I had, I had Mark actually written down that it was a gaw. Um, but I guess it wasn't a, a call. A gall is the troop transport that yeah. Shiro holds up and yep. in the Easy Eight and lets them uh, lets them go. And ultimately, we learn that that's Kalarni's unit. But a gal is the that's the big flying ship transport. Yeah. So um, um, you know the 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 name of the guy who was piloting the uh, the gall? No. Bjorn a bust. Just like that name, thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> I'm shocked he even has a name. Um, I don't know where I got that from, but it's it's apparently his name. Um, so Elidor actually, uh, now that he's back, he's got a he's got to play some plot points. So he um, goes to rescue Karen um, and basically acts as her targeter while um, Mikkel distracts the Zeon suit. Um, pretty cool. Um, so then we go back and we get a, a flash over to the Xeon base. Um, we, we see Guineas and his, his crew. Um, and it turns out that, uh, they're trying to finish the Apsilus faster. So, um, Gion, uh, Guineas is drugging all of his, uh, workers to, with like, amphetamines basically 
Um, but what he hasn't told anybody other than like the people, I guess the people that heard the order was that they were ordered to stop working on it. Um, yeah, so he received the order from um, his supervisor, but apparently, well, no, I'm not going to say that because it's later on. Uh, he received the order to stop working, but he kind of was just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so what he's, what he really should be doing as a Xeon soldier, technically, or officer, or whatever he is. So the troops in the Gao, that was Kalerni's unit coming back from Odessa, and they're trying to flee and get back up into space. And um, uh, we see, like, before that, some of them going out in those kind of dumpy, at this point, Magella attacks the tanks, mm -hmm. and they're going to cover for the other guys in that unit and then yeah when we see all this uh you know we're with um him drugging those guys like uh Guinness is also at this time refusing to even cover uh Kalerne's retreat right that, that was like his buddy but i guess not yeah yeah so basically he was they were told to assist with the the uh, troops retreating from odessa he says nah fuck it i wanted to work on my toy um Over yeah so we, we flash back to, to Shiro and his guys fighting, and Shiro continues trying to not kill people. Um, but... So we... We yeah. talk about Karen dealing with the at guy. Like, do we... How she killed it? Uh, her popped off, but then... Uh, yeah, I said, I said Elidora was acting as her targeter. He ends up pissing himself. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> new head. Karen probably. How many mobile suits does Karen go through in this show? It's got to be at least three. Uh, off the top of my head, I think I think it's if, depending on how you look at it. I think it's three. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, like you said, Chiro's trying not to take out those guys in the Magellas, um, and. Like the you know the captain of that unit is saying why aren't why didn't you fire on the Gao? Like they realize that's who it is, as they're they're fighting. And these Magellas have kind of they're able to hold their own because they're entrenched and have uh, retreated behind like a smoke screen, right? And that captain ends up saying like you know he doesn't need their mercy. And then there's some other scenes in between, like some other quick things, um, but ultimately what you end up with is you know finally. Uh, the Magellas kind of fall back, but Shiro does go after them and takes one out, but then ultimately they kind of are able to retreat. So, yeah, um, including then, that captain escapes. Yeah, and so they escape to um, the Absalus base. Uh, they make it down, like, the, the, the mountain tunnel, and they get to the entrance, and um, instead of letting them in, he basically allows them to get blown up and they die yeah. and he gets to keep working on the Absolus. Yeah. And so what you like, the reason he does this is uh, Kalerne is the one that told him to stop working on it. Like he right. outranks Guineas. He's an admiral. Um, and so of course he's trying to go back to space because I mean, he's that kind of rank at this point in Xeon, like, you know, they're going to want him back. And, uh, he had not, because he's been retreating from Odessa, he hasn't been able to inform Girin that the Opsilus project's been stopped. Right, right. So Guineas is like, this is a great time for my Saturday morning villain um, betrayal 
to kill these guys. Yep. Yep. And you kind of feel bad for them when it happens too. Yeah, because like, oh, go ahead. Okay, um, it, it, so many of these characters are humanized on each side, including these like regular Zeon soldiers that are at this point really just trying to get off Earth and go escape. And uh, Guineas is just a complete shit heel by here, and um, he, he was never like a good character, like I as know. far as, as, but like he he keeps getting worse throughout this. this yeah, show. he doesn't really seem to have any redeeming qualities at all. Yeah, he's just, he's completely lost it at this point, and uh, it's, he's not the best villain in Universal Century. He's just, somebody would have just shot him with a gun at this point. Yeah, yeah he's just generic evil. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think he got to where he was because he, he's like a good mobile suit designer or whatever, right? But uh, I feel like that would only carry you so well, Do we have any indication of what he ever designed, like, they keep saying he's like, they, they kind of implied that he was like a really talented engineer, but what contribute aside from the absolutes, what, what contributions did he make? Not that I think they ever explored that, but I don't think they did. No. And, yeah. we're, and we're, it's, you know, in the context here that um, the Sahalins are influential. And, you know, we see that in plot to assassinate Garen, but that was yeah. kind of much later, but yeah, they are a, well-to-do uh, family within Xeon. At least that's what the context tells us. So the one thing on this episode that we skipped, because we reached the end of episode nine, uh, there is a little brief moment where uh, they do just explicitly come out with uh, Sanders is keeping an eye on Shiro, but it was kind of assumed by Shiro that it would have been Kojima, the commander of their battalion that gave that order, mm -hmm. but it was actually Captain Ryer that's in the like the Federation base that we're going to see coming up. Uh, that's kind of in the uh, command for the Federation on the whole Asian front. Right. Right. Um, so before we go to the, the next arc of two episodes, uh, we're going to cover the little OVA battle in three dimensions. It's a cool little show. Um, it's about what? 15 minutes. Um, Maybe you, been, like 12, something like that. Yeah. It was a, uh, released and Scotty correct me if I'm wrong like 2013 like way after the yes. end of the show yep that's correct this was is something newly produced for the blu-ray release of oath ms team and it's uh it's good I, I really liked it um, yeah I especially liked uh, I think it's a really great like shining moment for for the easy eight because they don't really do much with that at any other point it's just kind of like a regular uh, a regular ground Gundam based off of what they've shown. And in this one, he kind of really gets to shine and just kind of go ham with it. Yeah. So, so essentially they, they don't, it doesn't fit anywhere strictly in the, in the time of the show, but this is the closest place to it fitting into the show that it fits. Um, so yeah. the, the team is on a patrol um, and they're like crossing a bridge and Oh, shock. Karen gets sniped. <laughs> yeah, she's leading the charge, not paying attention. Um, and so we actually see a flight type Zaku um, fly in, which is really cool. So it's it's basically like a Zaku that can fly around in, in yeah, wings on its yeah. and it's it's got a whips too, right? Does it have whips? I can't remember if it had whips. Um, I think it did. 
I don't know what what always gets me with the Zaku flight type is I can't unsee the like jet flight boosters as the uh, full Vernian uh, units that get put on the GPO one in the later part of uh, Stardust Memory. Uh, <laughs> it's like the same general shape. I know they're like if you put them side by side, you'd go like Scotty, you're stupid. These are very <laughs> different. But in the moment when things are moving quickly, they have. Oh yeah, the same, like, there, I mean, there's a lot of them that look. I mean, because they all, I mean, all of the, the Federation suits are based off of a general build. And there's like a handful of like silos of general builds, just like with the Zeons, like you have the Zakus and then you have like, like some of the, like the Gyans where they have like the cross faces. Um, so like there's a handful of silos of those as well. Um, yeah, so... Um, essentially, there's there's a crew of Zeon soldiers up in a mountain that are sniping at the um, Eighth Team, uh, and Shiro f manages to basically snipe them back. Um, he gets like some giant rifle type weapon that he was he didn't originally have. I think it was Karen's weapon, and it's not meant to be a sniping weapon, but yeah, it was like a bazooka. Yeah, he he manages to take out the snipers. Um, while, while like avoiding the flight type, um, I think they were that far away. They were just kind of entrenched and that's the only reason that they kind of got the jump on them. Yeah. They, they had, they had ground on them. So, I mean, it's just, it was probably harder for him to see and they probably could lean, they lean back a little bit. I think, I think maybe it was Sanders also made the comment that, uh, they thought it was a controlled area that they, that the Federation, right. had they weren't expecting, expecting any enemies. Right. By the yeah. way, I think the flight one was like, Goof. Was it? No, it's a Zaku flight type. Oh, that was a goof. I mean, it looks kind of like one a little bit, but the, the specific model is just a Zaku flight type. Hmm. Um, so, so, yeah. <laughs> well, like, so this is a. Uh, it's short. It's mostly a like it's you know it's really light on plot, right? It's just a little cool action scene. Um, yeah. For me, you know where this fits best because it doesn't really fit truly anywhere. Uh, it works best in episode eight when they're kind of coming up on the Carilla Village, right? Mm -hmm. And because the same bridge is even in some of the panning shots, that and. It, like you've got Sanders in the hover truck, uh, yeah. which is that's the right kind of or close to the right chronology for that. Uh, the only thing that doesn't really work is that it, there's the easy eight and Chiro did not have it at that point. Yeah, I, I kind of in my head, it happens right before episode nine. Yeah, the yeah. other the other um, honestly, it fits better without Miller's report, I think. Yeah, those reports showing Elidor coming back is the whole is like the big problem. Oh yeah, because he's not in this one. He's not in the battle. No, he's not here. He's not back yet. But sure, but like like Scott said, she already has the easy eight. So that's the big. If you're really going to nitpick the timeline, that's the big issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's easier to just you know kind of take it for what it is and enjoy. It's a fun, it. it's a fun fight scene. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, sniper's dead. Uh, Mikkel repels down down this bridge a little bit and it's kind of like hanging out um and so like the zaku's basically like strafing around the the 
the the bridge and like coming up and shooting at Shiro and then like popping yeah. around the other side. Um, but yeah, so Mikel helps uh, Shiro figure out where he needs to shoot, and he takes it out. <laughs> Um, one other thing that this does do, um, we didn't really mention it in this part. This is kind of like, um, Sanders and Mikel are like traveling together and this is them kind of like growing out because Sanders is being cold to, um, Mikel. And finally Sanders offers Mikel some cigarettes, um, even though he's underage, which matters in war. <laughs> I was, I was thinking that what age was he, that he could be in war, but not smoke. Yeah, that doesn't I mean, make technically, sense. you can join the military at seventeen in the U.S. So that's, that's a good point. I didn't realize you could like go to fucking Vietnam at seventeen, but I don't. I don't think we know the Earth Federation's laws on smoking. Should look into that. It's an important episode. No, <laughs> I'm. I'm sure there's like some manga that has like a a two panel like mention of Federation smoking laws. Oh, yeah, maybe. Answer the question. I think he's 18. So then he should be able to... Uh, well, and so you got to keep in mind, in Japan, I think the legal age is 20. Oh, well, then there you go. Hmm. Uh, because I think that they get everything at 20. Smoking, drinking, uh, adulthood in general happens at 20 in Japan. Everything? Everything. Are you sure? That's it. Rental cars, AARP, everything. Everything. What it, What about Kiki? <laughs> Kiki? Kiki's like 12. <laughs> I've already voiced my concerns about this whole Kiki thing. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Um, so let's go now to uh, episode 10 and 11, The Shuddering Mountain. Um, yeah, so this is really, so, and we'll, you as we go into this, 10 and 11 are really the end of the series, as far as I'm concerned. Um, 12 is an epilogue. Um, so really this is like the end of the plot as it were, um, of the show. Um, was that intended that way? I don't know. Was it? Cause I think, uh, Scotty made the comment that it was never originally aired episode 12. On Toonami. Oh, on just on Toonami. Correct. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could have. Who knows with the you know the death of a director, what was actually sketched out you know in advance of this? But um, it it to me, episode eleven is the natural end of the series. But they might have just been like, well. 12 is a nice round number, so let's keep going. <laughs> there may have been, like, the studio may have been committed to, or, you know, whatever the deal was between studio and creatives and who knows who, it may have just been a, you're doing 12 episodes, and, like, they just were like, okay, we'll make up, we'll make something up for this last one, but we naturally are writing it and ran out of story. Yeah. Um. So Xeon is planning on abandoning the um, Opsilus base after the Opsilus is complete. Did the Opsil the base where it's getting developed ever get an a proper name, or is it just like 
the Xeon base. It's just a base. It's yeah. A, okay. Yeah. Because yeah, I keep, I don't really ever have a good name for it. So it's just, I call it the Opsilus base. Yeah. Um, and the, we do get a name early in this, at least for the ship that they are trying to leave on. Um, and that's the Kurgolin or Kurguelin is how it's spelled, but they say Kurgolin in the dub. Uh, but that's just the ship. That's not the name of the base. Right. So yeah, Xeon, uh, basically after the Opsilus is completed, um, Xeon is planning uh, to retreat from the base because the Federation is like right on top of it at this point. Um, so they began, uh, they began bo bombing it and invading it. Um, and yeah, so like they're doing a combination of like bombing it from the nearby city. Um, and then like they're sending GMs into the, the shaft where um, the Admiral and his troops were kind of killed in the, previous episode um but the federation wants to actually nuke the mountain <laughs> uh, but they want to do it on the down low because i guess revel has told them not to drop nukes on earth let's stop let's stop nuking people let's, let's just shoot them you know it's the whole please don't violate that treaty that oh the antarctic treaty everyone only kind of followed yeah I was watching a different show today, and uh, I noticed that that is definitely a trend. <laughs> yeah. Plus, episodes of everything is, the treaty, no! <laughs> this this treaty that constantly gets violated. Uh, let's not buy One guy following the treaty. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Revel, in his, and that's just being <laughs> followed like in his office. <laughs> um. Actually, it's probably Revel and Degwin. They're probably following it, and everybody else is like, nah, fuck you guys. Um, Lauren Seahack is following it. That's why he puts the nukes in the turn A. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> just just keep moving on. <laughs> you just keep just keep on moving. You know what? I'll just move us on. So we get our first look at the Goof Custom, aka the Goof you wanted a model kit of in the late '90s or early 2000s, but was sold out everywhere. So you settled for Romba Rawls. Is this and uh, its pilot is? Is everyone was everyone feeling that way, or is this a specific Scotty pain? This is. I I feel like this is a me specifically. But it had to be other people because that Gunplus just would sell out so quick in in the days when I was uh, literally ordering by telephone and mailing a check, um, <laughs> uh, because the internet was scary to my parents. But whatever, I was getting model kits. Uh, it, like it would come back in stock and then just be gone, and I just I feel like that had to be it. Just had to be so popular. I'm sure. I mean, a few people got it. Did you ever get it? Ordering department when she has a goof. No, <laughs> no. I, 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 my backlog is too big now to care. Uh. So, uh, but you know, this is 17 years ago. That was the, that was the cool thing. But anyway, yeah, Norris is in there, and he's a wrecking him some planes. These jet core boosters too, and ten cods. He's like, he's an ace. And and we see we see like the relationship between him and Ina. Um she basically thinks he's her daddy. Like not not in the Shiro is her daddy kind of way, but like her actual father kind of way. 
Did you say something? I was going to say, I don't think she thinks he's his dad, but she just sees him that way. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, she has two daddies in this show, and one one is a father figure, and the other is is not a father figure. Gross um, father figure. What's that? The other is a gross father figure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, so he, he basically says he'll, he tells her, and more or less, like, he'll he'll die to protect her, or, you know. He, he he implies he'll try to stay alive, but so um, one thing everybody that knows. They called uh, one comment I, I had was that they called Norris out as being an ace. They're like, oh, he must be an ace when they see him like going around wrecking stuff. And and I don't know what their definition of that is, but as many people have, that have died, you would think that was a lot more common. We're gonna have to just ask Bernie about that when we get to the next show about how ace works. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I think well, yeah, the other thing they imply is you see the uh, seventh team, which is our recurring uh, group of it's the uh, one of the other teams in the battalion, and they're pulling back, and they note that uh, they've had like nine units blown up at this point. Um, not them in particular, but just the uh, the groups that are trying to infiltrate that base. And yeah. then uh, the other thing, the just a timing note when they're talking about accidentally blowing up a nuke. Um, it's because they're really just trying to like get this done and not disappoint Rebel. And Ryer mentions that Operation Star One is happening soon, so it gives you the timing of this as like a little bit before Solomon in Abawaku. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Ina tries to stop Norris from going out, and um, basically they're they're trying to delay. Um, the Federation from getting in the base as long as possible so they can launch the, the Opsilus. Um, and she's unable to stop him. So he like gets away and his, his goof or yeah, his goof while she um, sits on a container and says, Oh, you shouldn't go. So she tries really hard to stop him by sitting there and watching him walk away. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to get out of this chair. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he launches and he he is single handedly taking on the eighth team and all of the um, tanks that are bombarding the mountain. Like he is just rocking. And at one point, somebody says, "This guy is an ace." Yeah, it's very dramatic. It's very, very dramatic. Now, the uh, other kind of neat thing that they have going on here is that the way that the eighth team detects the goof is Elador hearing this elevator noise. Uh, and then that's when it's had come out of the base and starts kind of going on a rampage. And uh, what Shiro does is put Elador in command because he has a better sense of what's going on with the audio than they can by the visuals because mm -hmm. it's chaotic. Um, and then the other thing that kind of happens right here is that uh, Norris and his goof you know, stabs some generic gun tank and there's this blood spray of the crew like splashing up onto the goof's blade. And it's a, I think the reason I remember it is that this was one of the images shown in like every Toonami promo for this show, like bumps, like everything to be like, look, it's on the midnight run. This show's for adults. It's got blood. <laughs> yeah, this it, 
the only way I really have to describe this this whole battle, I, I said a cool city battle ensues because they're doing like a lot of like between buildings, inside buildings combat. Um, Norris's goof has the has this like grappling hook type thing um, that he's able to use very effectively to like like pop out and like snipe at people. He, yeah, he takes out around office stuff too, right? That yeah. was pretty sweet. Yeah, this was like a really well designed battle. I thought this is probably one of my favorite battles from any of the Gundam series we've seen so far. Yeah, and there's not a lot of urban warfare in Gundam, right? You know, there's honestly, I think the next best urban warfare fight might be in Build Fighters or try one of those. Like, there's just not a lot. Yeah, because the the uh, War in the Pocket fights are not fun to watch they're basically like fat chicks mud wrestling uh yeah i mean they're very limited in, in scope <laughs> they're, they're that's not a show that's about the mech action it just well, happens right. to have some yeah it, it it does have one of my favorite uh mobile suits but we'll get there okay oh. yeah uh so oh yeah this is um oh man he takes out Pretty much all of the gun tanks. I think I think he does take all of the gun tanks out. Well, so there's one left, but before that, we we have a we have Guineas doing things. They we, also... Yeah, Guineas goes and and goes Jonestown on um, the Opsilus development team. Congrats, guys! You finished. Uh, stop <laughs> taking narcotics and drink this wine. Drink some of this Kool Aid. It's totally cool. Yeah, have this have this wine with me, which I am I am definitely going to put up to my mouth and not drink, and none of you should be suspicious of that. And yeah, I mean he poisoned all of it and they die. And my note here on my paper is wow, what a goony goon. Uh, my just, my comment was nice guy. <laughs> he's just he's just terrible. But you know, at this point, at least they're committing, they're digging in their heels. Like, yeah. Genius sucks. Hate him. Hate him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so after this, Norris is basically acknowledging to himself that he can't beat the eighth team. Um, but he's just, he's, you know, his mission is to delay, delay, delay. Um, yeah, because now, it, granted, he's covering for the Kurgolin, for the crew that's all trying to escape. Right. That's really what he's trying to do. Uh, and, you know, because the team is covering for this other gun tank. Like he's just looking at things and he's like, I, he's not going to make it back. So he hits that red signal flare. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Norris and Shiro get into a, a, a nice little fighting match and, um, Shiro gets the best of them for a while. Like the MS his his mobile suit gets pretty much knocked out. Um, so we, we see a little like internal monologue with Shiro where he decides he wants to live. Uh, and he decides he's going to turn his mobile suit back on and fight Norris. Um, and in the, in the process of that, he screams Ina's name and Norris freaks out. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a kind of a cool sequence that happens here. Um, and so he gets the easy eight going online again and he takes the right arm of the easy eight and uses it to rip off the left forearm of the unit 
and starts beating the goof with it. So he's beating yeah. the goof with his own arm. <laughs> and that's when he yells about Ina. And then Norris is like, oh, oh, I know who this is. And I think Norris kind of decides at that point. He doesn't really want to kill this guy yeah. because he knows it's important, someone important to Ina yeah. and that he's not going to be able to get back. Um, so he he flees here and I'm skipping a, a little bit of a, a little bit, but um, basically he flees, but he's still going to get that gun tank. Yeah. That, I mean, he basically decides to disengage from Shiro and, and go for his final target. Yep. Yep. And he gets there, but, and he shoots it and the gun tank's gone. But basically once it's like, as soon as he shoots it, Shiro slices that goof in half. Yep. And then the Opsilus launches. Yeah, well, it already did before this. I skipped ahead and just put the battle. Oh, no, no, I, I have the note saying that it, it launches right after Shiro takes out Norris. Fine. I do these things in order, of course. I'm perfect. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I think the Opsilus launching is like the end of episode 10. And then end of episode 11 is the second part of this two-part. Yeah. Episode. Well, the, the very end of episode 10 was the cliffhanger... Um, of Shiro being like, I'm leaving the service. Which all oh. the battles are great. What, really? Throw that on there. Yeah, that was the that was like the cliffhanger. Yeah, is that like the after credits scene? No, because I have that as part of episode eleven, like it's, the very first note of episode eleven. Yeah, yeah. I think he said it at the end of episode ten, and then it started with him saying it in episode eleven. I'm, I'm terrible with these notes sometimes. Apparently, no, it's all good. Um, but like. So the the uh, one thing that we did skip that just was funny is that uh, Guineas blew up all the dead scientists after they were dead with a grenade. Yeah, because that's necessary, right? Evidence. Yeah. Um, but the the interesting thing with production schedule here, which again, as a you know, Americans, we didn't have to deal with this. Um, episode ten came out a week before Miller's report, uh, and then episode eleven, which we are now running into, came out nine months after episode ten. That's a long. That's a long jump for like these two episodes in specific because it's they're like, yeah, this is a two-parter. Yeah, that's a weird place to take a break. Yeah, it would have yeah. made more sense to take a break uh, before episode ten, I guess. Yeah, that's what I would expect. Yeah, yeah. there's a bit a fairly decent story gap there. Yeah. Well. So, so yeah, Shiro says he's leaving the service, but. Before he does that, he's going to stop Ina from doing what she's doing. One last mission yeah. with Charlie Brown piano music. <laughs> That's how this um, episode starts. It is completely like you think you th like you're going to cut to. It's not Linus, whatever that kid is that plays the piano. Like he's going to be the new pilot in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So of course. Um, Karen is just so pissed because all the men she likes leaves her. Um, and Shiro's leaving the service. And so that means they can't be friends anymore. Um, and she tells Shiro that he is the worst soldier that she's ever met. Obviously she's never looked in the freaking mirror because she's a pretty terrible soldier. <laughs> well, but, but she's under orders to execute him if he deserts. Right. Yeah. So they have that little cut there. And, uh, yeah, Shiro's just really bad at this, but they kind of just realize, like, I don't know. 
he's just going to do that. It was kind of inevitable. Yeah. And uh, so there's Morganius being Goonie. He calls the Absolus his son. He does a couple times, I think. Yeah. It was very, what's the word? Forced. It was weird. Yeah. And Ina's all like, hey, you definitely didn't poison all the developers and then blow up their bodies with a grenade, right? And he's like, no, no way. They're just off drunk somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and Ina asked for, so Ina, they've launched at this point yeah. and they know there's going to be like a fight. So Ina reaches out to the Federation and basically says, hey, let us evacuate the base. You know, let's just have a ceasefire for now because I could fuck you up if I wanted to. Like she like launches like this massive attack right before then showing like how powerful the Absolus is. Um, and the Federation denies it initially. And then they're like, oh, wait, yeah, no, no, we'll definitely do it. Um, snipers go out and get in place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he denies it. And then she dramatically like steps out of the cockpit and she's like, I'm not trying to intimidate you into this. Um, and, and they're like, oh, okay. But like you said, yeah, they're like, oh, send out the GM snipers, by the way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But now, you know, they think, okay, cool, we can launch our Kurgle and transport thing. So it goes off, and there's some flight Zaku's behind it. Ina's uh, like, oh, awesome. It's outside the cockpit. And then Genius fires the weapon. Yeah, he powers up this weapon, and it kills tons and tons of people, and it almost kills Ina at the same time. Yeah, it almost like blows her right off of the, uh, right off of there. Like, kind of bad timing. Yeah. He doesn't care at this point. He's protecting his son. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's fucking nuts at this point. Yeah, but so the um, you know the retaliation on the Federation's part is obviously shitty. But as far as the you know uh, ignoring all the human side, you know war story mech action things, it's kind of cool what they do. Uh, so Ryer's like, okay, fuck them. Shoot down their big transport ship that just left for space snipers go do it and so you have this gm sniper uh yeah it shoots down that kerglin that just took off so all those guys in the base that they're fighting so hard to protect some of whom you kind of get to know on no kind of real basis uh they're all dead now um but the the beam weapon that they have the gm sniper use for it it's not really made to be a constant shot but since it's trying to take down a big transport ship they have it hooked up to um, like they have it hooked up to this coolant line so that it can keep firing this beam weapon in a steady shot long enough to take out the engines on the, um, on the Kurgolin. And then as it's, as it's going down, like you can see, uh, there's a, a flight Zaku around there. That's like, Oh crap. Like kind of scrambles and it then gets also shot down and you can actually see a body fall out of uh, of that Zaku. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah, pretty violent. Yeah. Um, so then we go back to Guineas uh, and Ina again, um, where you know Guineas basically has some mommy issues, uh, parenting issues, I guess it is. Mm -hmm. um, but Ina's basically trying to say, "Let's surrender. This isn't worth it." Um, and so Guineas does the obvious thing and shoots Ina in the chest, um, 
blowing her out of the the Absolus, and Shiro manages to catch her. Yeah, um, some precise piloting. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. He's he's the best pilot. <laughs> I mean, if you factor that in, I mean, I feel like um, they've established that the the visual. The visuals in the cockpit are not that amazing at this point. It's not like any of the like later Gundams with like crazy, you're floating in the the ether and can see everything cockpit. So I'm super impressed by that. Yeah. Um, Immediately squisher. Yeah. So um, what you've um, what you have happen here too is that uh, Guineas is getting ready to fire at the Federation base, and um what ends up happening is he ends up missing because this GM sniper is able to attack it yep. uh, before it can complete it and it actually takes out one of those little leg thingies on the Absolus. Yeah, and and there's like a, a blast from the Absolus when it's sniped and um Ina and Shiro are like caught in it, but Ina seems to take most of it. So like this is, you know, right after she gets shot in the chest she absorbs the blast of a mobile suit um, in her back. Um, it seemed like it burned her, though. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you assume she's dead, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is, like, one of the few things in this show that really bugged me. Um, so, uh, not this part, but the next part. But So, the the eighth team is ordered to destroy the Absolus and capture Shiro. Um, fine, whatever. Like, that is what it is. Uh, but now Ina is okay. Like she's not just like okay; she's fine, pretty much. And but the but the watch, yeah, the watch protected her from the shot, and no real explanation of how like you know electrical fire didn't really like put her down for the count. Yeah, yeah is she even still injured at that point? Like, does she get she even mm. visibly burned or anything? They don't. Not really. For all intents purposes, somebody cast like a heal spell on her. Yeah. <laughs> is this is this the part where Shiro uh, Shiro's like laying there all fucked up too? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I sent it to you guys in uh, in our chat, but um, someone posted on Reddit earlier of this exact scene of Shiro laying there with his broken arm, and he's got two uh, left hands. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, messed his thumb up so bad it's on the other side. Flipped his arm around. <laughs> when you break your arm so bad it becomes a left arm, I think is what the uh, the Reddit post said. Yeah. <laughs> so Shiro with his two left hands vows to kill Genius, um, uh, and Genius begins charging his full weapon attack again um, from the Absolus, right? Yeah, and uh, the they're so they're well, they, yeah, they're. You know, Ina knowing it, they decide, and she's in the cockpit with Shiro, and uh, they are now because his arm is broken. What this gives them the opportunity to do is pilot together. Yeah, you get hands. Yeah, uh, th so they're going for the beam generator, and the Easy Ed is actually about to take it out, um, but because Ryer has messed up priorities, the GM sniper actually shoots the Easy Eight because Ryer's like, "Oh yeah, kill Shiro too, please." Yeah, Just and take care of that for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Easy Eight loses its left shoulder here, and ends up exposing the cockpit, uh, and 
But then like Shiro and Ina, it's like nothing ever happened. And he's like, sorry, Ina, I have to kill Guineas now. Okay. All right. Um, and, uh, and he just basically uses the arm that's left and smashes uh, Guineas in the cockpit. Yep. And then it kind of like, kind of like blows up at that point. Right. But he had time to fire. Yeah. Yeah. The Absolus is, you know, you know Guineas is mushed. He's dead, but the Absolus does have time to fire. Uh, and, um, Federation base got blown up. Yeah. So she, it, the, the, it blows up the mountain, but Shiro puts his, uh, the, the easy eight in the way of the blast. So it kind of like bounces off of the, um, mobile suit and like kind of mitigates some of the attack. Um, yeah, I mean, but yeah, like all those command guys like Ryer, like they're dead. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're they're gone. Uh, Elidor at this point is like, well, it was a double suicide. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they they go after uh, the rest of the eighth team goes after uh, Shiro to try to find him uh, in the mobile suit, um, and they don't see him in there. Or actually, it doesn't even show that. It just shows them kind of running off to look for him. Yeah, um, and then we kind of. Uh, the explosion that occurred, it kind of like implied that the majority of everything was destroyed. So it wasn't much right. before. Yeah. And then like the very closing out of this uh, episode is, you know, not long after the war finally ended and that mm -hmm. closes out. Yeah. Um, and so during the, it's an ambiguous fate at this point. Um, during the credits, Mikhail is reading a letter he has written to BB he says they'd never found him, but he thinks they're still alive and you get, that little scene of uh, Shiro and Ina going into that wrecked base and they have like a tent and stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's that episode. Oh, yeah, and Shiro's uh, broken at this point, missing a leg. Yep. And, and honestly, like, I feel like if, this was th that was like a good place to just like end the show, right? <laughs> I think, uh, episode twelve isn't bad, but it's not good either. So I think when we started recapping it, um, Scotty made the comment about episode twelve never having aired originally on Toonami, and then I was like, "Oh God, I don't think I've ever seen episode 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. I think it might. I could be wrong on this. I feel like it came out on the DVD of Miller's report. Like they put that in there just so that you wouldn't buy a whole DVD and be like, this was a fucking clip show. Uh, I think it was, but I didn't have that DVD back in the day. So I, I couldn't tell you right. uh, for, for certain. Well, I mean, I could, if I looked it up on the internet, but I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a, uh, it's just some little fun facts here. Um, on some of the timing before we talk about the actual episode. So uh, your length of time to get these 12 episodes out uh, was from January 96 to July 99. So about three and a half years. A long time, dog. Uh-huh. For a show that takes like two long afternoons to watch. But, yeah. Uh, I think it was released on Laserdisc some. Uh, so like, you know, I'm just think I'm just remembering the days of expensive media and it okay it fits. Uh, the English premiere on Toonami was actually only uh, about two years after it concluded in Japan, so I thought that was neat. But anyway, then we get into episode twelve, and there's the title card dates this as uh, Christmas Eve 0079. 
and no other stories take place on that day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Episode 12, last resort. Um, so it starts off. Mikkel has left the military, um, but he is looking for Shiro. Um, and he uh, has teamed up with, huh? Didn't before this, they show the, uh, the, the, the Musai ship was, uh, being attacked and like escaping and they were like loading them kids on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're getting the kids into the car. Um, yeah. Why did you not write that down? I am terrible sometimes. I yeah. Pause. That's an, that's important setup for the episode. Yeah. I pause, the pause button is your friend. That's probably <laughs> is. Yeah, uh, what, watching the stuff on Hulu gets like frustrating sometimes when you watch like three minutes of commercials. <laughs> I can see that. Dog. Um, it's time, man. Pull the trigger on that five dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, um, there is a cool shot during this of uh, the, some Gelgoogs guarding the Musai, so you get some some neat space stuff going on. But yeah, it's mostly just these kids talking to some guy that's like, get on the Komu side, get on out. And they do. Yeah. So, okay. So now we go there. Mikkel is, is looking in the jungle uh, with Kiki for Shiro. Um, heavily drinking. Yeah. Yep. He's He was discharged. And we learned that Elador, Sanders, and Karen have been reassigned elsewhere. Yes. Which is kind of surprising that he was the only one that got discharged. I mean, S Sanders and Karen staying in makes sense, but I'm kind of surprised Elador stayed in. Yeah, Elador is like the most surprising to me. Um, yeah, so they find a helmet full of dog tags and a cra crashed ship and a swan. Um, so here's here's Scotty's uh, Lala reference. This episode could be titled Swan Imagery. Um but now there's a there's an important context to why Mikkel is drinking, because yeah. Kiki is on the boat with him, so he might be trying to get Kiki ripped. No, I'm kidding. Uh, they don't imply that. Uh, but he's it's he's like the one thing they don't imply with her, and, and it's, it's because she's an adult now. Yeah, but anyway, uh, so he's like you know drunk and looking at his picture of BB, and Kiki like rips it up. And so you get the implication that they have broken up if they were ever truly together. You know, the disappointing thing about BB is that it's not anybody. It's just BB. And you see her and you're like, I, I was kind of half expecting the first time I watched this for it to be some twist and it to be like somebody that, you know, as a, like an officer on the Argama or something later, I, or, I, you know, I looked really hard to try and find out if it was some it, yeah. <laughs> baby Maneva. Yeah. It's, um, that, one thing to know. <laughs> one thing to know. I found this kind of funny. Um, all of his letters that he got from her throughout the series that they showed were in French until this episode, and it was in English. American. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, they broke up, and BB is BB. She's nobody. She's got a baby with someone at this point, I think. Yeah. Which but, uh, she was with someone while he was in the rest of the series, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they they kind of imply that at some point. Like she sends a letter, and like if as an adult, I'm like, that's a breakup letter. Yeah, yeah, I I know what you're talking about. She's like, well, I don't know if you're gonna come back or not, so I got some side side dick on the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I was so like you know when you're talking about the. Um, 
so that you know they see that uh Komusai's wreckage in the river and as they're kind of looking through those dog tags they see something about a dr flanagan it's that mm-hmm. guy it's that one guy it's that guy with that institute that's right Lala was in and that's when we see so it's almost right after she mentions Dr. Flanagan that you see the swan so imagery yeah yep yep it's important um so as they're walking around they get kidnapped by some kids that's right yep and those kids they tie them up and they're taking them to the commander yep um and they're feeding a a so like the bunch of freaky Zeon kids are interrogating them and they're feeding this uh, bandaged chick with blue hair and it's mm-hmm. definitely not um, the chick from Evangelion. Oh, I didn't really pick up any Ray vibes, but I, 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 yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that either, they, but they definitely are implying like my feeling throughout the whole thing was, Oh, that's clearly Ina. Yeah. The commander is clearly Shiro. Like, come on. Hold yeah. On. Yeah, that's what they imply throughout the whole episode, uh, for the most part. Um, so eventually the girl dies and they they bury her. And they basically just dump her in a, a, a hole and, like, cover her up. Um, but Kiki gets pissed and is like, no, you've got to properly bury her. And... Kiki's version of proper burial means like get a bunch of flowers and like, like put them around and make it all pretty. And then like dig it up. And then they find out the girl's name is Ina. I mean, to be fair, they did just kind of walk up with her on a stretcher and then go, and then yeah. just chuck her into the hole yeah. and like, walk away. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, uh, uh, she also notes that the kids don't seem sad and you get this um, wonderful mention they, they all kind of creepily mention they're all one forever. Yeah. Um, so you, yeah, it's just more of that. Oh, great. It's um, they're messed up new type Institute kids. Wonderful. Yep. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be watching this. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they say that the dead girl is Ina and then Kiki shows them a picture of Shiro. And then the, um, you know, the, like the main kid, I call him the main kid because I don't feel like they gave him a name. Well, I don't. I don't want to mention it yet. Uh, okay. Yeah, he says no that he's dead and points to a grave, and then they knock out Mikkel with a shovel. And Mikkel like starts going off the uh, off the deep end with that. He starts freaking out, and they 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 knock him out. Yep. And then more Swan imagery. Swan. Uh, but but Kiki doesn't think it was Ina. She says this very specifically. She says right. there's, no there's no way. Yeah. So it's too young. But then that kid's like, no, nope, Shiro and I, they're really dead. But he won't explain it. Um, and so then we later have a scene of Mikkel and Kiki digging up this grave that is supposedly Shiro's. So Kiki's yeah. done a 180 on proper funerals. Uh, Mikkel is walking and carrying like 12 shovels. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, but then, the, you know, the kids like end up stopping them and they're like, look, it's empty. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, and we find out for for Shizzles uh, that the kids were experimented on, um, you know, new type related mm. stuff. There was like some weird twins that were part of the groups of kids and all that fun stuff. Um, so as they kind of go along, the, the kids kind of open up to them, and um, 
they find out that the, that Shiro and Ina had helped met the cat met the children, um, helped them out, buried their clothes, but buried they buried Shiro and Ina's clothes, kind of like so that you know they could have an excuse to say that they were yeah. dead. Somebody came it's, looking after them. The shirt will do it. They said, "Now we are reborn," and gave the kids their names. Yeah, yeah. Getting they named all the kids um, after you know Shiro and Ina, and then the rest of the um, eighth team. Um, and yeah, and Kiki. And then they left. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and the kids like get start getting super defensive about the names, especially the uh, the uh, yeah Kiki did and, and Shiro knew Shiro did. Yeah, um, freaking taking the kid was like, "Don't take my name! I'm going to kill you." Yeah, but he, um, yeah, he finally he finally gives up. Um, it's because she it, kicked his ass. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. I, I put a cax tiki because he's dumb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's December, so now it's snowy, and uh, a moment that Shiro would have been proud of. As yeah. Yeah, they create a, a, a sauna with the beam saber. Yeah, this uh, Gelgoog beam saber melt into a pool. And um, hot tub. Yeah, so they find out from New Shiro that uh, Shiro and Ina went north to find a new world up there. Yeah. So uh, you cut to the morning, the kids are gone, but there's more swan imagery. Mm. So. Mikkel thinks they were either illusions or ghosts. And Kiki's like, no, they just went somewhere else. They learned survival, whatever. They're moving on. And you never really find out. Um, I, I think the it's implied that Lala is watching over these children, even though she's dead at this point. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that's why she's able to. And I think later stuff supports that. And I think, I don't know. I, I like. Uh, well, we're not quite at the end of the episode, but we're very close. Um, we're end of, at the end of the point where this is relevant to talk about. Uh, right. Yeah, like I, I think it's a neat little bookend on the series. Uh, a lot of the stuff gives ambiguous fate to things and doesn't really follow up on it. And having this epilogue here, I, I think, kind of helps it helps the series feel more like it, it can stand alone as its own thing. And you don't have to go watch the end of mobile suit Gundam to get the details of things. And yeah. um, you don't have to wonder like if they're ever going to pick up anything with these characters, it's just like, no, we're going to just, here's the end of the story. Um, and then also it, it helps tie it in with this imagery of like, I, I think it helps Lala's longer game story. Uh, so Anyway, I, I'm I'm pretty okay with this episode. And I only mention this because I'm pretty sure this is a very unpopular episode. Is it really? I was I just thinking. That. I can see why it's on. I mean, so I, like, I don't hate it, but I don't like it either. Like it, it, and and the only reason I I don't like it, as far as the series goes, is it it feels out of place. Like I thought it was perfectly fine. I just didn't like that it was the end of the series. Like it, like I didn't think it was a good. I don't know. I don't think that's true because it was a good capstone, but I, I didn't think it was enough of a finale to the series. I think it's fair to say it feels like an epilogue more than a finale. Yeah, like well, it's, 
it's the conclusion, but all of the action has happened. This is yeah. just the, this, this is, um, uh, uh, Frodo and Gandalf in Rivendell about to sail off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like it could have been the beginning of another series with those kids or something as well. You know, like, there's there it just doesn't feel like completely in place so they're the ninth ms team yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um yeah the very end um they find shiro and aina aina is pregnant and kiki is depressed yeah a little bit a little bit um so she's like super pregnant Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like she didn't get pregnant after the end of the war. No, it was the um, the hot tub. It's, it had to have been. Yeah, it was the Gundam hot tub. It had to have Did been. Did they say how far after this one this actually was? So it's uh, this is in December. Well, no, this is actually in November at this point. It doesn't say when. Yeah, yeah. It's it, so the 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 December title card is for the kids escaping the the ship. Right. Um. When this is, it's uncertain. It, I mean, yeah, I, I think 0080 is kind of implied. Like it's maybe uh, still winter. It's just the calendar's turned over. Yeah. And that makes the hot tub thing work because that would have been kind of during Odessa. So what is that? Like October-ish, November? That's November. So if we're talking like, February no, or March. That, that pregnant four months in. Yeah, that's true. This is true. Yeah. It has to have been at least a year. Yeah. So maybe it's late 0080 or early 0080. Maybe, maybe, maybe new types get pregnant faster or something. Who knows? Let's go with that. <laughs> Can bring a baby to gestation in three months. <laughs> <laughs> Swan, Swan's making it happen. Um. So, uh, final thoughts for for the series. Um, you know, let's start with you, Luke. I, you know, I I really like Eight the Mess Team. It was the first like side story that I watched of any Gundam. Like, I watched Mobile Suit Gundam for the first time, and I'm like, this is cool. I want to watch the other stuff, and I just happened to watch that around the time that it was coming out. Um. I love the series. I think it's a little bit disjointed, and I think I think a big piece of that can be attributed to the fact that the guy who made it died halfway through, and you know it was it took three years to release twelve episodes and this, that, and the other. But I, I do really enjoy it. Um, I never knew that I didn't watch the last episode when I originally watched it, so that says a lot about the ending. <laughs> I think the Cartoon Network people felt the same way. So yeah, yeah. Like it didn't feel like it was missing much when I watched it without the last episode. Yeah, I, I don't think it is missing much without the last episode. Scott. Yeah, like the, the the reasons I like the last episode are more to do with the meta series than this series yeah. in a vacuum. Yeah, and I agree. I think uh, if I was watching this like standalone or maybe like just with Mobile Suit Gundam, mm-hmm. I wouldn't need the last episode, but being a fan of like the whole continuity together. It feels like an OVA to the series. It did. You know, that's a great way to put it. That's definitely what it felt like. The OVA to the OVA. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I think this is one that it's 
one of those side stories that is ultimately optional, but I think it should be watched as you're going through. Um, there is no larger game story that this really interplays with, but it, it can't, right? It's set during something that's already kind of defined. Um, but I, I think a lot of these UC stories are like that. And, uh, you know, the, to me, the question is always, well, you can't go and mess with the larger plot because that's already determined. So what else is it providing to make it worth watching? And I think this gives a nice balance of, you know, human drama and mech action uh, and likable characters. And it doesn't fall into the trap that some Gundam shows do of having too much cast. I think the tight cast is very, very good here. Uh, it's feels a little big at the start, but then it does not bloat as things go along. So, um, you know, it's a, um, it, it, I don't want to say because I don't actually have context for this, but uh, I guess I should say as somebody that doesn't know what war is actually like, it, feels more realistic in its portrayal of it uh, where stuff happens that just sucks. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good series. And I think it is uh, it's before the modern universal century uh, material that we've had. And I say modern as, is, I mean, this is, I guess, 20 years old now. Um, but you know, until the stuff from the last decade, I think this was also the most accessible universal century show in terms of, uh, you know, like sc uh, scripting and animation quality, like what we expect out of uh, television. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of what both of you said this to me, this is probably one of my favorite shows from universal century, um, for a variety of reasons, but one, it's it's super easy to digest. Like you can get into it, fin watch it, finish it, and like you know what's going on from point A to point Z. Like there's there's no guesswork. You don't have to like go back and rewatch an episode and be like, oh, I missed this one episode, so now I'm like trying to figure out what you know, like why these people are doing all of this crazy shit. Like, um, you, you know, and even with like some of the difficulties we had, like trying to so Miller's report in like that, that's all optional stuff that we're doing that like the viewer does not have to do. Um, and so like, yeah, it's, you get a very good plot and you get a very good set of action. Um, and, and, and it's not like some of the other side stories that we've seen where like you get one piece of action and a whole bunch of story, like uh plot just asked me and was like, yeah, 25 chapters of like, reading an IRC chat with like some dudes that I don't know talking and then like three, three chapters of really awesome, like Mecca fighting. Um, <laughs> Truncation so, like that, that whole thing would work great as an hour long OVA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> or a movie. Like I, f I feel like Garen could be a, mo a good movie. Um, I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like this, this is one of my favorite uh, mobile suit series. Um, it's up there for me, uh, for sure. You know what I really like? It's a late 90s show that is in a larger property that you can consume all of the media in, in one format. So there's not 
it's not like you start with the manga and then need to play a trilogy of video games or yeah. play a video game, watch a movie and then play another video game. I'm looking at you, Nadesco. Uh, or like, yeah, because I, 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 I could think of other like, like Blue Destiny or I'd mentioned like Lost War Chronicles stuff where the story is picked up in some other thing entirely that and in a lot of those cases in the West, they're not available. They're never going to be. So right. I'm very glad that this avoided, uh, you know, like when the, when the uh, director passed away, it could have been easy to say, you know what, let's just make a PlayStation game or a Dreamcast game to finish it. Or completely nuked the series like they did with uh, Thunderbolt. I think there's still, we don't know that that's nuked. I don't think they've announced any anything past the second. Uh, yeah, but the guy still right. The guy had to take like a really long hiatus from the manga because he like broke his hand or something. Yeah, like, didn't yeah, volume twelve it, just come out not long it ago? Did, yeah. It it did. So the manga is still being written, but uh, I think when the author uh, was injured and put a pause on his manga writing, they basically capped the move the the shows. Uh, like I don't think they have a coherent plan to. Uh, produce more Thunderbolts like they do with like Hathaway's Flash or any of the other stuff. Cause I think uh, Bandit Flower was, or December, whatever it's called, that was what, about two years ago now? Bandit Flower, um, as far as a, a US release uh, officially, was not super long ago, but that means it was out about a year ago uh, in Japan. Uh, the, so the reason there's no plan is because if they made another one at the pace that they were going, they would catch up to the manga at the end of another movie's worth of stuff. Yeah. To be fair, I think uh, I'm okay with them doing like, it's a, that's a super common anime thing where they'll do like, let me do the first two novels. And then if you want to continue the story, you got to start reading the novels. Like that's super common. And I think that's not unheard of, but if it was like Scotty said, Hey, let me make these two movies. And then, go buy a 1996 Dreamcast game in order to see the rest of the story, that would suck. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I just I just doubt they'll make more, but we'll see. I hope they make more. I really like Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt is, you were talking about one of your favorite things. It's, Thunderbolt is my favorite thing from Universal Century, so. We'll get there. We'll get there soon. We'll yeah. There. I, I am looking forward to following it in manga to see if it gets better after the turd of an ending that bandit flower had. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next episode, we will be talking about, uh, zero AD war in the pocket. Bring your hamburgers. <laughs> All right. Um, you can reach us at new type flash pod on Twitter. You can reach me at skank and monkey on Twitter. Scotty P is Scotty underscore underscore P and Luke is at easy stuff. Our, our, Handles are in the new type flash pod uh, bio. Um, thanks for listening again next week. We will be dis or not next week, but in two weeks we'll be discussing uh, war in a pocket. So um, get ready for snake. And we'll discuss that at the beginning of the next episode. Thanks guys. <laughs>